and welcome to the Self Project Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Martin, and this podcast is all about the many different topics that we can experience as moms and as women, and the many different things that can affect us, or the many ways that we can heal as we're all moving along on our own personal growth journeys. And one of the things that I personally love to share and teach more about is emotional regulation. I know as a mom to five kids myself, there were so many times in my journey, especially being a younger mother, that I just could not handle or control my own emotions, let alone the big emotions that were coming from them as well, right? It could feel impossible sometimes not for me just to impulsively react or to yell, to just lose my shiz on them. And so throughout my years of parenting, uh, some of my high needs kids, I have really learned to hold space while navigating these emotions and also managing our own triggers and things that are coming up for us. And so I really want to bring that to you uh, because this is really important. So we're going to be having a managing triggers and emotions workshop, and I'm going to be talking about how to identify the big emotions, how to navigate the emotional outbursts, building emotional resilience, and how to use human design. Okay. We're going to be talking more about the emotional solar plexus and the different emotional waves that the defined solar plexus can experience. So if you are at all interested in that, the link is down in the show notes, or you can visit www.theselfprojectstudio.com backslash workshops. So I hope to see you there. And now let's go ahead and dive into our latest episode. Welcome back to the show today, and I am really excited to be able to welcome on Lisa Brum. And Lisa is the CEO and founder of My Financial Girlfriend, and I am just so thankful that Lisa, that you could take time to be here today to share more with us because what Lisa's going to talk about today is so important. She's going to talk to us just more about um, finances and money and uh, all of these things that we, you know, we kind of learn about, but then, like you said, we drop into the adult world and it's like, what are we really doing? I have this checking account. What now? <laughs> so Lisa, again, thank you being here today. If you didn't mind, will you just give us kind of an introduction to yourself? Who are you and what was it that really brought you around to wanting to create this for other people? Yeah, absolutely. Hi. Well, thanks again, Christy. I really appreciate the time to be here. Um, yeah, Lisa Brom. I'm born and raised in Portland, Oregon. Um, and what brought me to really, it was kind of a cry in my inner gut, a calling, if you will, or, or just purpose driven, because what I was seeing, I, I grew up and I went to school. I actually thought I was going to be a CPA. Um, and I was taking French classes and I was and I had to take some, you know, elective class. And so I picked accounting 101 because I'm sure it was at the top of the list. And it clicked. The things in my brain was like, oh, there's formulas and everything balances. And it has, you know, you can figure out where the error is by looking at, you know, and the reconciliation of it all. And there was these great formulas. And so my analytical side of my brain, I felt was fueled, right? And then with French, and I I, I was, I had been, you know, tested into the third year French class because I had so much French in high school. And I'm sure that was where my creative juices were flowing, right? And so when I took the accounting class, I was like, oh, well, who doesn't need a French speaking CPA, right? <laughs> and so I just, I went down the CPA road. I worked and interned 
uh, for a CPA firm during tax season. And honestly, you know, I was probably very motivated to not just sit behind a desk and a computer and, you know, staple tax returns together. So I ended up working for a bank. It, it was actually the bank that was in the, the same lobby of the tall uh, building that was, I was interning through. And the banking world was fascinating because as, if you can't tell, I'm kind of an extrovert and I love talking to people. And I was stuck in these cubicles upstairs on the 15th floor stapling returns. And I turned in my application and within three to four days, I had an interview and a job. And so I went into the banking world, kind of forgetting about the CPA world because it would just felt me, it was much more solution-based. People came in, they had a bounce check. How did I do this? And I'd help them for, through it. And I could reverse the fee. You had, you know, the authority to make it right for the client. And I always felt that that culture really helped propel me into being a financial advisor. And once I got into licensing and investments and insurances and estate planning and everything that goes into, you know, the world of financial planning, it just, it clicked. Everything kind of like, everything was just perfect for me. And I saw a huge gap. I saw that the industry, financial industry as a whole, and I'm being very general blanket here, but they pretty much ignore women and they ignore people of color because we are deemed not making enough money, right? We make less than male counterparts or we're just not, you know, we don't have, en have $250,000 sitting in our checking account because they judge us. They look at us, how we're dressed. They judge us based on the appearance of the cover of us. And then they kind of dismiss us. So they might answer a, you know, a few courteous questions, but nobody's actually out hunting you down, so to speak, right? And I just felt that that was, it just made me sick. It made me sick inside to see that, you know, how, how dare they, or, you know, the big they, how dare they ignore and dismiss people because of how they look or where they live in the city or whatever. And so I just felt like there is a huge gap and uh, job security, because <laughs> there's a lot of women. And guess what? We are the biggest purchasing power on the planet. And there's statistics they're showing even, even through COVID and the pandemic that women are actually starting to increase outpace income compared to their spouses. And we're actually buyers, like by 52%, we're buyers of big ticketed items all by ourselves. So I think one thing is women are good stewards of money. We actually take care of our, you know, we're, we're born nurturers. We're born to take care of our families and our, you know, maybe extended families. And then if we, if we deem that we have enough money and maybe even a little surplus, we look to where can we put our money to good? Where can we give to the charities that we ca uh, care about? Where can we help our community? You know, so we're big volunteers. And so all these things just don't match up. And that's why I think um, coming up with my own financial firm, I was kind of always just disappointed with the eight o'clock sales meetings on Monday because all it was was a bunch of guys showing another bunch of guys of how to sell life insurance for the day, you know? And I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom <clears throat> working with a client and not wanting to help them from wherever they're at. From the point of view of there, I get a lot of people going, oh, I just don't know enough. I, I really am kind of bad at this. And I don't know what I'm doing. If I have extra money, where should it go? How should I invest it? So all these questions just lead to education and knowledge. And that's what I really feel that my firm is most noted for. 
is financial literacy and working at people's pace, you know, the way they digest the information and how it can fit into their lives. Because as I was saying before, we're really not taught a lot about money. We're really poorly educated as a, as a you know, first world country. And in fact, there was a stat that came out uh, recently and it was, uh, I think it was US World News and Money. And out of all the countries in the planet, uh, US ranked 13th on the list. And the 12th one was Botswana. <laughs> they are they are better at managing and educating their people about money. And so again, there's a huge gap. I'm I'm here to help people in the day-to-day -day stuff just as much as I'm helping them build out their legacy and future planning for their their heirs and their beneficiaries. Oh, so important, Lisa. The financial girlfriend, right? It's all about the financial resources, the education the approachability, the accessibility there. I want to lower those barriers, having people think, oh, I, I can't afford a financial advisor. I, I don't have enough money. How can that, how can I work this out? You know? And so I really want to just drop that and have a culture of just no shame, no judgment. Let's just dig in and I'll roll my sleeves up. And it's always, I've been saying lately, just don't do money alone. If you don't like it, Find somebody who can help you out. And the financial girlfriend is the person who is trained to look at your picture and figure out what you want to do. It's self-identifying. Like, you know, I, I love it when clients will say that we've worked for a couple of sessions together and they'll go, you know what? You talked about that thing. What's that thing? And I'll, you know, we'll talk about what they're looking for and what the gaps are and how they can find and improve even just a few tweaks. Sometimes we're finding two to $300 extra a month and it's not like don't have a mocha or don't go to the, you know, dine out next week. It's, it's in the fixed reoccurring bills. And most of it comes out of taxes. How we pay our taxes as Americans. How come there's so many commercials? I know I'm just going on and on, but how many, how come there's so many commercials at tax time that says we can get you billions and billions of dollars back? It's because Americans for fear of having a huge tax bill will pay taxes forward and then wait for their $5,000 refund instead of knowing what those numbers should look like for them and having an estimate and then getting more cash in your paycheck so that you can do more with your money. All the goals and targets and, and dreams that you want to do, you know, have, in have intention and more purpose with your money. So good. I have so many questions that I've written down here, but um so many things I want to touch on, but I absolutely love what you're doing because I 100% agree with you that there's such a gap in the industry for, like you said, women and minorities. Nobody wants to feel sold to. And that's what I think is that it's the push of the product. It's the sale instead of like, what's right for you today so that if we tweak a few dollars here, maybe pay down some debt faster. And now you have a couple hundred dollars extra from that. And you can now start putting it towards your kid's college or towards, you know, whatever your goals are. We want to match your dollars and you want to tell your money where to go. Yes. When you started talking about like investments, estate planning, insurance, like I felt in my body, this automatic reaction to go like, ee, cause it's all this stuff. Like you said, we don't understand. And I thought that it was really interesting because actually at the beginning of this year, I started getting interested in, in like investing and in cryptocurrency. So I just started 
researching, looking into it. And I, I found myself thinking the same thing. There's such a lack of women in this area and women educators. And it was so interesting to me. There's only 16% that are women advisors in the United States, 16%. And it is, it's a, it, it, it's formidable for a woman to want to be a financial advisor because it is commission work. And so that's the other kind of problematic systems that are created within this industry. And um, so I just, you know, there's so many, I mean, we could, we could dig into all kinds of aspects. Of it. <laughs> yes. So would you say that women invest and spend their money differently than men? I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. They use their heart and they use their, their judge, you know, they have, I give everyone credit, everyone, not just women, but critical thinking skills, right? I, I'll say you've, you've adulted your way to this point, as long as you're not living in your car, because that takes a whole nother set of, you know, tools and ways to help, but, um, and resources, but, you know, as long as you are earning income, and again, it doesn't matter to me and to those that I'm training to be financial girlfriends, does not matter if it's a thousand dollars a month, or it's, you know, or it's $10,000 a month or $100,000 a month or whatever it is, it's that I, I don't see a difference between those that are just maybe starting their businesses and still kind of just barely getting by, but they know that, you know, it'll hit where they'll be able to sell more product. Um, <clears throat> to those that work at major companies, you know, here in Portland, we have Nike and uh, Intel and all these big companies. And I work with some of the executives out there and they make half a million dollars a year and they do exactly what my, you know, 700 or $72,000 couple might do. You know, it's like they, they have credit card debt and it doesn't get paid off every month and they throw two, $3,000 at these payments and it just never quite goes down. And, and they're just, they're in the same cycles because it's the same mindset and the same education or lack of that gets people in the same boat. I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm thinking early on in my marriage, um, you know, me and my husband, we started out, like you said, we very much lacked financial literacy, but, um, you know, we started out, you know, on an income of like 40 to 50,000 when we first got married. And we, as we progressed to through the years to like a six figure income, we still found ourselves living paycheck to paycheck. And, it was so interesting to just to see that progression and, you know, to learn along the way. And we've filed bankruptcy and we've, you know, educated ourselves. And, and now I find myself in the position, I hear my children in the background, sorry, we'll edit them out. <laughs> now I find myself in the position actually of now wanting to start teaching my children because my oldest right now is 15. And I think about, uh, you know, the things that I was taught or was not taught in school and, um, you know, seeing the way that it still is, they're still not being taught a lot about it and thinking, God, what skills do they need to be equipped? Like, what do I even need to teach them? Because sometimes I feel like I don't even still know everything. Well, it, it's funny because um, I've been journey, journaling a lot and I feel that there's just as part of me, you know, growing up, I grew up kind of, you know, same thing. My parents were very, you know, modest incomes and we kind of, you know, as a family of four, my dad worked, my mom worked part-time sometimes when they needed that extra bump in cash. And maybe they knew Christmas is coming or something and she would go work for a florist shop. But um, yeah, the thing is, is that for kids, especially, I think you're either born a saver or a spender. 
and savers don't want to spend and spenders don't want to save, right? So I think the thing that we have to battle sometimes is is making it fun. And that's that's the other thing is I don't think finances or even talking about money is fun unless, you know, even lottery winners, you know, they don't keep their monies in their pockets for, you know, the average is five years and the money's all gone. And so all of this thing, all of these things lead to uh, looking at ways to make a, make it fun. And so I, I use my child, uh, my oldest, he's 29 now, and my youngest is 20. But my, when he was just like six years old or so, and I was, I was the mad dasher, I was working for the banking systems and I was, you know, picking him up and getting him from daycare and dropping him off at grandma's. So I go do a night networking meeting or something. And, um, so I, I was like, well, I, and I hated giving him, you know, fast food through the drive-thru, but I knew that I, I needed to get him something in his stomach. So I draw, drove through like what we thought would be the, you know, the least worst of all the drive-thru foods. But it was, you know, it's one of the little bags with the cute little toy at the bottom. And then they, you know, they're shoving down some French fries and a cheeseburger or something. And um, he, he'd rip the sack and he'd look for the toy first, right? And he'd dig in and he'd look at the toy and he goes, oh, what is this? This isn't a good toy. And he kind of tossed it over into the passenger front seat. And, um, and then he proceeded to eat food. And when I got him dropped off and then I went back into the car to sit and I picked up this thing, it was in a plastic wrapper and I opened it up and it was a, it was a little tiny bank and it had three sections with three slots across the top and you had stickers and the stickers, you know, said charity or spend or save. And, and so I just slapped them on there, put it together and I put it in my purse. And later that night I set it up on his dresser in his room. And when, and he started, you know, like he would like, mom, can I walk the dog and get 50 cents? Or, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd think of clever ways to get some change from my pocket. Can I go wash your car? You know, and he hit the headlights and asked for a dollar, right? Um, so he'd always want change. Like his dad would let him go do something and then give him some four quarters. But he was like, just, and what it was doing, and I think he's a, he's a natural born saver, like his mama. But he was just, he wanted to make sure he had enough coin to drop in each section. And I don't know that he was really reading what those sections were, but he just liked the fact that there was three holes and he could drop it into three separate sections. And to this day, he does that. He puts all of his paychecks actually go into his savings account as a direct deposit. Because he told me when he was first signing up for you know his job, he's like, well, isn't that where I want all my money to be anyway, mom? And, and I know how much my rent is, my car insurance and I know how much my cell phone is so I just move the money that I need to make sure I have enough to auto pay my bills and he has money he has thousands of dollars sitting in his savings his goal is right now to buy a condo or a small house so that he can not have to pay rent anymore so you know I think that hopefully by osmosis he's learned some things but I he, he and I have really great conversations because it's just it's targeted saving. You're saving because you want to go on a trip. We'll call it Disneyland. You know, your bank will allow you to name the account. You know, in day and age of technology, you can just open up seven different accounts and you have one for each child or one for the trip and one for the house repair and one for the new car that's coming up in two years or whatever. And I just say, let's just come up with your dream list and your goals and your wishes. And then let's just match it to where you want those dollars to go based on timing. So I try to make it fun and easy, digestible.
Oh, that's what I love what you just said there, digestible, because I'm thinking when you're saying you can open up the account for this, this, and this, and I'm like, there's so many options, but like, I think for myself, I'm like, I've never even navigated to look and see what the different uh, options are as far as like we said, like saving and investing because I don't understand it and it gets overwhelmed. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, it started simple, really savings account and, and having enough money in fact, it's not wise to invest until you have enough money, a cushion or a plan for a cushion is systematically putting money in every month because, you know, emergencies, pandemics, people lose their jobs. So having, you know, the rule of thumb is generally three to six months of living expenses sitting aside in an ATM of Can I get my hands on the quick cash? Because, you know, plumbers are expensive over the weekend, but you got to have them if the water's rushing out. and. Um, just having, having the emergency funds, but I also call it opportunity funds, because if you know that you're going to go on a Christmas vacation and we're, you know, six months away, but something goes on sale at, you know, Costco and somebody wants a new barbecue, maybe, <laughs> you know, well, yeah, if we dip into the Christmas funds, how fast can I replace it to make sure that we can get the airline tickets by, you know, September or something like that. So again, it's just a matter, you know, most people will ask me a how question around money. And my brain won't let it go until I come up with many different ways to get there, right? It's like, the minute you say, how can I, all the synopsis are now putting pathways together to give you ideas and give you solutions and ways to, to look at your money differently than you did before. And I love that because we're not taught that. So I love that you're now teaching people to do that. Um, I, I love to hear either born a saver or spender. And I'm like, I'm a spender for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you can support that. You can support yourself. And that's the other thing. People, spenders, you know, you maybe you get yourself into some guilt or some like, oh God, I probably shouldn't, but I got it because it gives you that rush of, of, of adrenaline and just like you feel satisfied, really satisfied to be able to spend money. That's cool. Just make make that a separate checking account, maybe with a totally different ATM card or put a, you know, nail polish on the corner and just earmark, you know, whatever is the right amount, you know, make it part of your line, but line item budget in your fix. So, you know, 50 bucks, every paycheck goes into my spendable account and call it that, you know, get to yourself. Because again, if you work hard and you do, you know, you're paying your bills and everything's going fine. Why should, why should you feel bad about spending money that you earned that you put aside for just that reason? Spend it down to zero and go to the outlet malls. I mean, whatever it is, but don't make it, don't make it part of the evaporating money that already happens off the, you know, off the checking account. Make it an intentional account that has, you know, 500 bucks. When it gets to 500 is when you get to go crazy and go buy yourself a coach purse or whatever it is that you want to do. <laughs> These are incredible uh, ideas that you're giving us um, because I think too, oftentimes, uh, like how you say, it's just evaporating out of the checking account because I thought there was such a period of time where I was overwhelmed by even looking at my account because, you know, so many things were going in and out. Yeah. Yeah. Just like it, it was overwhelming to even look at. So I would just look once in a while. Can we buy that? Okay. We have the money. <laughs> and you know, that's, that's a terrible, terrible strategy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, and then that honestly, but, that's pretty much what everybody does. I mean, I like, you know, I'm not making up anything that I'm not hearing from people telling me what they do or like, like I, I just have an awareness. You know, I think part of the hard part, really the kind of the big, the bite size, if you can take a bite size, that's the best way. 
but sometimes it feels like you're taking a bite and then, oh my God, how did I get myself into that? Right. And it's just, that's where the overwhelm and the anxiety shows up. And so my whole goal too, is to bring, bring it down to a place where it's, it, money is a tool. You know, if you got enough, if you, if you're making, if you're spending as much as you make, that's what most people do. And it's kind of like, it is kind of like purses, right? It's kind of like you buy a big purse. I know it's going to be 70 pounds by the end of the week. Cause I'm, I'm going to be carrying everybody's sunglasses. I'm going to have my own stuff. I'm going to, somebody needs, you know, they need, they're going to have to have a, oh, my daughter with her combs or brushes. I mean, it's like, oh, mom, carry this, you know? And, and I just have this. So I try to carry a little purse, a little purse, just so it has my, my, you know, my debit card that I'm going to spend on and, you know, and my ID and a chapstick, you know, I just want a little tiny purse because nobody can ask me to carry their sunglasses if I have this little tiny purse, you know, so um, that's the point is that we do that with our paychecks, right? We, like you said, you make a little bit of money and you start getting raises and it, again, it's like you get a 3% raise and you go, oh, well, okay. We, I guess, you know, you, nobody thinks like 3%. That means it's this much extra in a paycheck. That means that much extra goes to those accounts to make the savings happen faster or, you know, pay down the debt faster and all of that. And there's tricks around money hacks. I call them money hacks. There's money hacks around every aspect of our daily life, our money going in and money coming out. And um, we just, again, we're not taught that. And I'm trying to get that word out more and more. I'm, I'm you know, we're doing a lot of workshops. I'm teaching women advisors about the my financial girlfriend client experience and how how to exceed people's expectations so that it does become like you want to lease a car or buy a car I gotta call my financial girlfriend that's what I want them to think automatically right it's like anything around money I want to bounce an idea off of somebody who will sit and listen and not try to sell me something but just listen and maybe already know my money situation so that, you know, then we we're really working with whatever buckets you've got so we can figure out your finances. I love that. So do you have like a certain formula or like a recommended percentage that you say like uh, goes towards savings, towards living expenses, towards fun, you know, all those different buckets? Like, yeah, you know, I, I don't have a set formula, but there's several books. There's one book called Profits First by Michael McCallwich. Never say his last name. I forgive me, um, but profits first is really my brain because he does have some set formulas, and sometimes it's more geared towards those that are self-employed. But his numbers aren't too off. I mean, there are there are good. Um, I have a sheet that actually helps people derive like what are you currently paying for now? Like what is it out of your living expenses, your utilities? all the things, the bills that always show up, how much a portion of that, what percentage of that is already paying the bills and what's left over. From what's left over then, then it should just match up in, I think, dollar dollar for dollar. You know, if you have $300 extra every month, then maybe a hundred goes here, a hundred goes there, a hundred goes here, just to help get things started. Maybe it's just 25. I always want people to start with a no-brainer amount because if it's 25 in three different buckets, and maybe one of the bucket is actually paying down debt, then we just, you know, we work from the numbers that feel comfortable and don't push people beyond what makes them feel out of their, out of sorts, right? So I, I say three to six months of living expenses should be accessible 
you know, all of that now, if it costs you $5,000 a month to live on and you need 15,000 just to get to three months, you know, does all of that have to sit in a savings or a money market at a bank or credit union? Maybe there's some other types of smaller investments that are fairly conservative, but generally just getting them started and doing the systematic so that it's a regular based amount that's always going in. And that's what I say. If, if somebody has $500 extra a month, I would say, let's start with 25. Just maybe they don't even have a savings account. Let's just start it somewhere and get it going. And then, and then keep checking in, you know, because again, I think people think that there's, you know, a huge expense to get to work with financial advisor. And I don't believe that should be true. I think that if you do the right thing and you loosen up some of those changes, eventually, you know, the timing will work it itself out that somebody will want to set up some other types of investments or long-term type yeah. I'm glad you brought up that belief. Like you said, that some people believe that it's expensive to even to dip into that, like, you know, market or to start working with somebody like that. So I would love to know what are some of the different things that you offer at my financial girlfriend? So do you do like one-to-one? Do you have programs? What kind of things would people be able to find? One-to-one. Yeah. We're doing workshops right now. Um, 90 minute workshops. Um, the last one I did was $45 for the 90 minutes. And we talked about, we call it rock your finances. And it really just talked in very general terms around four different areas, cash flow, building assets, paying down debt and giving yourself that protection, um, areas of protection. So with that in mind, uh, mostly the education is really what I'm, I'm kind of on a big soapbox right now about, and then I'm doing six week master courses for women advisors or women in professional financial services. And that is a a course that is about $150 for six weeks and it's two hours every week. And we cover all aspects of their practice and their, their marketing and how they, the systems that I've included in how to work with clients. Um, but generally it is just helping them figure out, I have a, a worksheet that looks like a house and it's get your financial house in order. So this is kind of a place where we start gathering documents and we put all of your financial accounts and statements and we have a place, a, a place for everything, everything in its place. And we see, see what your financial house looks like. And, and if there are gaps or holes or over, over place, you know, places that are bigger than they, you want them to be. And it's based on feelings. It's not based on you know, like I have to have this much money sitting somewhere. It's more about like, what is going to work best for you? Because sometimes it's one step forward and three steps back, right? Life happens. We have to expect that there's going to be something that comes up unexpectedly. How do we handle that kind of stuff? And that's where people like feel the crisis of it, or I have to just get through it and survive instead of having more proactive measures to help support the things that you want to accomplish. And that's more of my Pollyanna optimistic side. <laughs> but the programs we are doing right now, especially is for, is for women just to feel safe in it. And we're doing online Zoom courses. Um, I have it on my website or myfinancialgirlfriend.com or Facebook um, is where we post a lot of our events. I'm gonna have one called Rock Your Debt. And if so, if people have credit card debt or other kind of debt, and they just want to plan around how to pay it off faster. There's calculators and things that I'll be using in that workshop to, workshop to show them. And I'm, I'm posting that one for $25. Oh, awesome. And, and yes, one-on-one consultation. Because I have a whole team of financial girlfriends ready to work with. 
Oh, I love that. So everything though, any upcoming workshops that you have, everything would be able to be found on your website. Yes. Okay. And you told us that was myfinancialgirlfriend.com. Correct. Yep. All spelled out. Perfect. And where else do you have any other social media that anybody can follow you on if they're interested in? Yeah. So Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram are posting out uh, a a lot of, a lot of the workshops and things is kind of what we're really on a roll right now for. Cause I just see that, I mean, I'm being asked for it all the time. And from the consumer point of view, it's fun because again, we talk about things that not normal, you know, I said, I'm a unicorn in this industry because we don't see a lot of financial advisors taking this time to, to sit down and talk to people around their debt, but, you know, put more money in their cash flow so that they eventually will have more money to put into investment. You know, it's a, it's a big circle. I see it as a big circle of life. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's such a low cost for, uh, you know, to be able to educate yourself. Um, you know, there's at some point we have to step up and take that responsibility to educate ourselves. Otherwise, like you said, we get stuck in our cycle of, you know, uh, again, living paycheck to paycheck or overspending or always <laughs> overdrafting or, you know, so at some point you have to take that responsibility to step up and educate yourself. So I love that you have these very low cost workshops that give you the opportunity to do just that. So, yeah incredible that you're doing that. I just feel like you've given us uh, so much information. So we, you know, we've brought up so many important points. I know, but there's going to be so many people listening that are going to feel much the same way as me that are just like, oh my gosh, all that stuff she's talking about. Ah, Don't get scared. Don't get scared. Don't run away because that's what's keeping you stuck in those cycles. Like um, take the upper. Yeah. Take the opportunity to, after you've listened to this, um, you know, go look up the workshops, go follow Lisa. And as we kind of like close out, maybe you could offer us like one or two of your top money hacks that you, you share that they can walk away with. Yeah. Um, well, usually it's that savings. Most of us just do a direct deposit to our checking and that's where the evaporation happens. So you know, and it may take some logistics to set it up, but do a direct deposit to your savings and then sweep over how much you need to pay those that week's or two weeks worth of bills. Um, so there's some adjustment there. The next money hack has to do directly with credit cards. Basically, there's uh, most women tend to round up. So if you have a statement and you know that you can't pay off the balance for that credit card, it's say it's a $50 minimum payment, we all go, oh, I'm going to throw $100 extra at it. So it's $150, right? Well, we think in our minds, and, and we think that the 100 is actually going in as a principal only payment. And in 2000, lobbyists from financial institutions with credit cards, were able to sneak in a couple of sentences that said, instead of dividing your interest rate APR against your credit card outstanding balance by 12 months, you know, 12 times, they were able to divide it by 365 days. So it becomes a per diem compounded interest rate against your bill. So even if it shows $50, we also know that it'll never pay off if I just keep paying 50 bucks, like it'll take us 45 years to pay it off, right? Well, without using it over and over. So what happens is that when you pay the 150 all in one payment, then they're using the pre diem against the extra as well as what the minimum was. 
And now your $100 might only be $56 to principal instead of to uh, the other way around. The way to make a forced principal only payment when you want to make extra payments above the minimum is have the minimum paid on or before the due date, auto pay it or, or send it in on or before your due date. And then just only wait one or two days once you've seen it post because they can only now collect the interest that's accrued until the next payment hits. So if it's only two days, they can only get two days of interest. Maybe it's only $8 and now 92 of it goes to your principal. It's a forced principal payment. Oh my God, that's a huge tip. <laughs> That's huge, Lisa. Oh, gosh, thank you for that. So definitely, if you <laughs> resonate with that, go and look because like you said, they slip in that language. And I know for myself, I don't read through that stuff, you know, see. Nobody really sees it. We, we don't even know where to look for it in our statement. And people, some people might be skeptical. And I said, here, let's just try it. Let's do a test for a couple months. And I know that you've paid extra in the last few months, but let's take those statements. And then when you do it every time, send me a statement and we'll do a comparison side by side and we'll see how much more it's paying down than it is going towards the interest. So that's, yeah, it's, it's near criminal the way that they've aggregated that interest against us and nobody talks about it. That's the other thing is I don't hear anybody talking about it, but I use this, this method for 15, 20 years. And it's, and it's, people are mind blowing. That's, that's what I do. That's what I do is I blow people's minds. Right. <laughs> that's all I care about is how much can I make people feel better about their lives? Oh my gosh. Well, you blew my now. mind. I'm going to have to make sure in show notes that I put, make sure that you listen yeah. all the way to the end because <laughs> Lisa is going to blow your mind. <laughs> The money hack, mind-blowing money hack. Yes, um, that's a couple of really juicy ones. The other ones might be look at your insurance uh, coverages, like your house insurance or renters or car, um, because deductible, whatever deductible, if you have full coverage on your car, for instance, you're, you pay for the liability because that's usually state mandated that you you know if you cause an accident, the other person's car gets put back together, right? But when you have a nicer car or a newer car, or you owe money on your car, they're going to require that you get full coverage. Full coverage, really, the other side of it is called collision insurance. And then collision covers you. If you cause the accident, your car then gets returned back to its original status, right? Repair status. So, so if most, again, most people don't question it. They just say, hey, I need insurance. I'm going to drive it off the lot or whatever, right? They, or I go, hey, I'm going to get new insurance. I may or get a new agent or something. They might shop it a little bit. But even shopping it, most people, again, average people have either a $250 or a $500 collision deductible, which means they have to put out $250 or $500 to the car repair place. and then then the rest of the bill gets paid by the insurance company, right? Well, well, what happens is that if you've driven for, you know, I'm 57, so I've driven like 40 years of my life. If, if I had gone with a higher deductible, like $100 or $1,000, sorry, or $2,000 on a collision, then that means I would have been paying lower premiums. And I think about that, if it was even $8 a month for 40 years, I that's thousands and thousands of dollars 
and knock on wood, I've only been in a few accidents. So the idea is that you look at your record, you look, maybe if you have some teenagers that are coming up driving, you know, get them a, get them a beater car so they don't have any collision insurance to fix it, right? I mean, the idea is that, again, just knowing what your numbers look like and awareness of, you know, how much you're going to pay out. Like, I, I, I get people who will look at their insurance and go back with questions to their insurance agent. I'm not here to fire that have them fire anybody because I don't sell car insurance. But why, why wouldn't you just say, give me a higher deductible so I'm paying less in premium? And the insurance agent, again, are ba- their commissions, so their paycheck depends on how much in premiums that person's paying. So they might talk it out of it because like, oh, you're only going to save like $8 every six months. Well, even $16 for the next 40 years of my life or 30 or whatever it is, is still thousands of dollars. So the idea is that you just make it right for you and your family situation to, to again, pinch pennies wherever you can find them. And that's another money hack that I have is just look at your deductibles and quote them higher than you think. And maybe you wait until you can get that savings account to equal a thousand. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to put anybody out on the hook or anything, but making sure that you're, you know, you're pinching those pennies put maybe one of your accounts is the deductible account for the car that is going to have a full coverage, you know? So again, positioning money so that you have backup contingencies, you know, it's squirrels putting nuts in five, five different trees. That's kind of my vision on this is you just want to put all your little nuts wherever you can so that you have access to the money when, or if things go awry. I'm going to go look at all of my deductibles right now. I'm just like, as you're talking that I'm like, it makes sense to me. You know how you're saying that. Cause I'm like, sometimes my deductible, I think it's $500. Well, we don't, we've, we've not used it, but I actually needed to have a windshield repair done within the last couple of weeks. Well, it was cheaper for me to just pay for the windshield repair than to even pay my deductible. So, and claim it. Cause then the claim shows up on your insurance and could increase your premiums as well. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nope. It, it's totally true. House insurance. I have clients that have, you know, they have ha- $500,000 houses and they have a, you know, a $500 deductible if the, if the tree falls on the roof and well, while that's nice not to pay five, you know, only have to pay 500. It's, it's actually more prudent to pay you know, I have clients that have $10,000 deductibles and they pay very, very little for the exact same insurance and get, you know, they're willing, because again, depends, do you live in a wooded area and you a tree could fall on your house or do you have a flat landscape and there's no trees anywhere, or, you know, so I'm just trying to, it's just, you have to be practical. And that's the thing is like, really try to just bring it down to practical living day-to-day thinking about how we just don't put that kind of thought process into our money sometimes. No, we don't. And I think that a lot of it is like you said, because we haven't been taught. So it gets overwhelming. And so we avoid it. Right. Or, or we think here's the other problem that I think is what's coming up is that I I'm using a professional I'm using somebody who's a car insurance agent. Well, you have to know where their motivation is. Right. And, and I, and I think they're all good people. It's not, you know, nobody's not a good person because they happen to do this. It's just that it, it's the industry, the money industry is forcing people to maybe just like, oh, they can, they can handle 500. And that means I get, you know, the $8 extra a month in premium. So 
it's and they work with thousand people so they're going to have a nice paycheck it's just the industry pays well if i feel because all the cities out there with the big tall buildings all of them are normally owned by banks insurance and investment companies you know the financial industry pays well and if you do the right things with clients right from the get-go they'll be you know long-standing clients and you're training them to think about their money and it's it's all of our responsibility that are working with clients around money finances i just think it's the best thing to do is do the right thing first mm, so good i'm so glad that you're doing this and i'm so so thankful that you came on to share with us today because i feel like we've got so many golden nuggets in this episode so um i i I just can't wait for everybody to be able to hear it. So Lisa, thank I you. I get for jazzed up by this. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> yes. I, I, I mean, I'm even getting excited about it. And like I said, usually I tend to be like, eh. yeah. And I'm yeah. like getting excited. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go look at all my deductibles and uh, <laughs> open up some savings accounts. And so I, I love that. And that's just right there, um, you know, shows that that you're right where you're supposed to be teaching this, sharing with other people, giving that passion to them so that they can learn and we can, you know, change the course of the future really for ourselves. Yeah. Let's, I would love to be considered a catalyst in how financial literacy gets more approachable and more access to all people, all people, no matter any walk of life, they all, uh, everything could, could be so much different. And I, and I love, you know, like the phrase that you teach a man, you've taught an individual, but if you teach a woman, you've taught the village. And I want to be part of that village of just shared knowledge and shared information and helping people just better their lives, even just, you know, little bits at a time. Yes. Lisa, thank you for being on today. It has been an honor to have you here and have you sharing with us. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Self Project Podcast. Make sure that you scroll down and you check out the show notes so you can connect with our awesome guests from today. And also come over and follow me on Instagram at underscore Christy Martin to see more of what I've got going on. Make sure that you subscribe to the show so that you can get regular updates and I will see you next time.